everybody. Welcome to the First Pres Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast channel or our YouTube channel for the latest Sunday messages. We're so glad that you're listening, and we are praying that the following message inspires you to take your next steps towards Jesus. Hello, First Pres. It is good to be worshiping with you once again online. My name is Greg Hartnett, and I get to serve here on staff working with young adults in evangelism, and I get the opportunity today to lead us into our next week in our series. Let's go to the Lord now in prayer as we prepare for the word. Lord, our God, we come before you. We lift up our hearts to you. We ask that you would form us in this time. Lord, we ask that we would know you differently because of this time, that we would be equipped to go out into this world and to make you known to others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Things are not the way that they are supposed to be. The evidence for this is all around us right now. There have been riots in almost every city in our nation throughout this summer. There are tropical storms beating down on the coasts. Wildfires have consumed acres and threatened lives. We're in the midst of an election year, and our government is, is per- currently pitting red and blue against one another and lobbing insults at each other in an attempt to grab power this November. Even allergies are against us. The very air we breathe are, is causing us, or at least me right now, to, to tear up, to struggle to breathe. It's hard to imagine that there's anything more obvious right now than the brokenness of this world. But there's almost some some good news in the fact that we identify that something is wrong. You see, identifying that something is wrong with this world points to the reality that something better should exist. Think think about this. When when we get thirsty, it proves that there's something that will quench that thirst. When we get thirsty, we know that there's water that can fill us. When we get hungry, it points to the fact that, that there's something in us that is missing, that we're missing nourishment, we're missing food. And when we long for a better world, when we long for a more beautiful way of being, it points to the truth that, that we were probably created, designed for something better. We're in a series right now called The Beautiful Story. And we've been talking about beauty for the last few weeks. We've been talking about how it serves as a signpost that points to the creator. Beauty, it's like a sign that points to the creator's intent for this world. InterVarsity Christian Fellowship designed a great little tool, kind of this doodle that you can put on a napkin that describes this beautiful story. And there's four main parts to it. Part one is that we were designed for good. We've talked already about how God created a beautiful world. That's that big circle. Beautiful people and the relationship with God was good. That's the little circle there. Everything was good. When I was in college, there was this popular bumper sticker that kind of hinted at this. It said, God's original plan was to hang out in the garden with some naked vegetarians. And to me, that really kind of sounds great. We just planted a garden for the first time as a family this summer, and, and I don't garden like that guy in the image, but it's been so fun. And I can just imagine that it would have been so fun to hike around this giant garden with God every day, hanging out, eating tomatoes, and a ton of zucchini because it grows like crazy. But obviously, this isn't our life. That didn't work out. The plan in the garden didn't go like it was supposed to. 
We look around our world today, and, and rather than a beautiful garden, it, it's a bit more like a wrecked car. You know, when you see a car on the side of the highway that, that has been in a serious accident, you look at it and you know what it's supposed to look like. You know it's supposed to be different than what you see, that it has a purpose that it's designed to do something, but it doesn't. There's, it's, it's not right. And this forces us to ask questions like, how did we get here? Why is life so hard and so frustrating? Why is our society so broken? Why are people so terrible to one another? Why do tiny little microbes infect our body, making us sick, causing death? Why do natural disasters claim the lives of so many? Well, we may have been designed for good, but we've since been damaged by evil. And it's not just us. You see, our relationship with God, our relationship with each other, our relationship with creation are all distorted. And our text today digs into this. It's one of the Bible's most famous scenes, and it's also one that people are really quick to dismiss. I mean, there's, there's a talking snake. I, I, I understand. And so I'm going to challenge us today to take our skepticism or any concerns about the historicity of this passage, just put them on the shelf for a second, and take this text as it stands. We're going to look at Genesis 3, verses 8 through 21. And before this passage, God tells humans that they can eat from any tree in this beautiful garden except for one. God gives the man and the woman an opportunity to practice obedience in that relationship. But instead, they fail. They decide that they want to run the show. They want to be like God. And so as soon as they eat this fruit, there is a change. And it's an irreversible change. It's like seeing or hearing something that you just cannot unsee or unhear. And the childlike innocence dissipates. And they realize that they stand naked. Then verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid. God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman that you put here, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock. And all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly. You will eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband. He will rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. You will eat plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. And then the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. In my Bible, this chapter, it has, has a little subtitle. 
It says, the fall. But this, this actually could be called a story of broken relationships. There's three relationships that really take a major hit here. First is humanity's relationship with God. Look at verse 8. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord from among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? Growing up as a family, we would, we would take after-dinner walks pretty frequently. We would finish our meal, we would clean up, and then we would just head out on this bike path by our house. And it was really a fun tradition. And if you were really good on the walk, you, you pretty commonly could get an ice cream cone at the creamery on the way home. And that's, that's kind of what's going on here. God shows up in the cool of the evening, and, and he shows up to spend time with friends. But he doesn't find them. They've hidden themselves. When I first read this text, the thing that comes to mind for me is, is my three-year-old right now. He, he sometimes will play hide-and-seek without telling me. And it's really sweet. It's really cute. I'll be walking around the house and just hear, Daddy, you can't find me. Um, and it's, it really is cute. And it's fun. And it's something that I love. But that's, that's not at all what's happening in the garden anymore. You see, the man and the woman, they used to interact with God like a friend. They used to walk with God, would spend time with this all-powerful creator. But now... This relationship, it's become plagued by fear and shame. And so they find themselves hiding from God. Now, obviously, God knows where they are. As the psalmist would later write, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. God knows what they've been up to. But he gives them a chance to explain themselves. And the result is heartbreaking. You see, the second relationship that gets unraveled in this scene is human relationship with one another. Verse 11, God says, have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man says, this woman that you put here with me, she gave me fruit from the tree and I ate it. And then the Lord said to the woman, what is this you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. How does the man respond when he's asked if he's done something wrong? He blames the woman and he blames God. This woman that you put here with me. And this continues to be our practice today, doesn't it? When we get backed into a corner, we so quickly move into this blame game. We attempt to wriggle away from responsibility, or we we attempt to use somebody else to shield the blow that is coming. But that's not how it's supposed to be. I mean, think about about when, when you've seen somebody actually really take responsibility for their actions. It's almost a little bit surprising, unfortunately. And it's also almost a little glimpse of beauty when somebody does that. Well, this chasm that has been opening up between man and woman gets further expanded in the consequences that the couple will now endure. Verse 16 says, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. The only other place that this Hebrew word for desire shows up is in Genesis 4, 7. And there it has a connotation of conniving and controls. And so it's, it's not necessarily that the woman is just going to fawn after man for all of eternity. But it's in these relationships, there's going to consistently be manipulation and resentment. Instead of being co-equals who care for creation together, the relationship with men and women is going to be filled with dispute and power struggle. As one scholar put it, the two who once reigned as one now attempt to rule over the other. Let me just pause and say that that I'm not going to even scratch the surface of the history of flawed relationship between men and women today. 
The ways that women have been relegated to the margins, have been abused, demeaned, not taken seriously. It, it, it's, it's unbelievable. And, and a lot of that is known to many of you much better than it is to me. I do know, however, that, that even in our nation, it's really not that long ago that, that women even were granted the ability to vote. There, there continues to be issues around a gender-paid gap. The Me Too movement that started a couple of years ago really started to expose atrocities and abuses in workplaces, in businesses, and in churches. And so suffice it to say that this is not how the Creator designed things to be. Last week, we talked about beautiful design for humanity, God's design for us. There was no male domination in Genesis 1 and 2. It's really only after humans determine that they want to be in charge that things fall apart. In Genesis 1 and 2, God sets a world in motion that is governed in equity and mutuality. But now, here in Genesis 3, control and distortion become the norm. The third relationship that ends up fractured in this chapter is, God, is the relationship between humanity and the natural world, even, even our bodies. Verse 17 says, Cursed is the ground now because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles. You will eat plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Listen, we, we pretty much had one job, right? It was to care for creation. But now, because humanity has rebelled against God and our vocation, that's going to be painful. It's going to be difficult. And this is so obvious to us today. We continue to see drought and natural disaster. Even animals, our relationship with animals isn't what it's supposed to be. I saw a recent study that said that about 200 people are killed in the United States each year by animals. And, and that's not a huge number, but that's still not the way things are supposed to be. The author C.S. Lewis wrote this science fiction trilogy in which the first two books describe uh, a world that didn't experience the fall, and then, and then a world that is basically chapter 3, the beginning of chapter 3 of Genesis, where this woman is, is being tempted by a serpent. And in that second book, Paralandra, C.S. Lewis describes how the world works in harmony. The animals are there to serve the humans. And actually, it gets to the point where, where dolphins will swim up to the shore and help humans travel across the sea. And, and so there's this beautiful image there of what the world could be like. But that's not where we're at. We were put here to care for the world, to work and love the world, to be in charge of it. But instead, Adam and Eve allowed the world to control them. And this part of the consequence, this part of the, the curse, it obviously extends beyond family, right? All of our work ends up being frustratingly difficult. All of the natural order gets bent out of shape. The woman is told that she is going to experience pain in childbirth. This vocation that is unique to the woman is going to become a source of pain. And I think it, it maybe even foreshadows some of the pain of parenthood, some of the pain of raising children. And the man is reminded that he is going to return to dust. That even the human body is going to break down. We've been especially aware of our mortality over the last six months, but this really is nothing new for us. It's part of the world that we live in. Nothing functions the way that it's supposed to, even our bodies. 
I remember reading this really creepy short story when I was a kid about a haunted carnival in which children would go in and, and look into the funhouse mirrors and actually their bodies would get distorted into the image that they saw in the funhouse mirror. And I had nightmares about that for weeks, but, but actually it's a pretty good description of what happens to humanity because of Genesis 3. We've become distorted to the point where our bodies actually work against us. Distorted to the point of not being able to even trust our own logic, intuition, and desire. And so, because humanity chose to take the reins, to view God as a barrier to our true happiness, there is a crack in the cosmos. There's a fracture in all relationships and all ways of being. Humanity ends up consuming a poison that affects every aspect of creation. God's beautiful creation, God's beautiful world, God's beautiful people all become infected in this moment. I had food poisoning last week. Let me tell you that that, it, it affects everything around you, right? It is not how life was meant to be lived. But I recovered after a few days. Because food poisoning, it just, it just takes a little bit of time and some Pepto-Bismol, and then, and then things are okay again. But that's not the case here in Genesis 3. You see, healing creation is actually going to require the creator. Only God can fix what's gone wrong here. And we're going to talk about this in the coming weeks of our series, but today we get a sneak peek right here in this chapter. God begins the healing process almost immediately after he finishes describing the curse that has descended on creation. Verse 21, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. They have rebelled against God. The man and the woman have destroyed perfect creation and they've engaged in mutiny. And yet God loves them so much that he continues to provide for them. When their eyes were initially opened earlier in this chapter, they realized they were naked, and instead of running to God, they immediately try to solve the problem themselves. They go find these leaves and try to make coverings for themselves, but it's insufficient. God provides real clothing. God continues to sustain them and care for them, even though they have outright rejected him and twisted the beauty of his creation. But that's not it. Let's look back at verse 15. When God addresses the serpent, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Martin Luther called this verse the very first gospel proclamation in scripture. By the second century, the church fathers had started to look back and see a connection between this verse and Jesus. It's, it's Jesus, the offspring of Eve, who crushes Satan, who defeats the powers of sin and darkness in the world. But it is not without cost. The serpent strikes out at his heel. For Christ comes into the world, is rejected, and is executed in a brutal manner. But it, in this sacrifice, the curse is actually reversed. You see, we were designed for good and damaged by evil, but in Christ... God has restored us for better. When Jesus becomes the Lord of our lives, we become one with him. We experience the forgiveness, the grace, the peace that God longs to pour out on us. And our relationship is healed in Christ. And there's an invitation to you here today. You can pray to God and ask him to be the Lord of your life. 
he would love to come into your life. You see, in Christ, God offers us new life. And in that new life, we're invited into his healing mission. We're called to participate in God's healing work in the world. The followers of Jesus are are sent together to heal people, relationships, and the systems of this world. And so, while things are not currently as they are supposed to be, there is hope. And that leads us to the table. You see, God, God has continued to call out to us, where are you? God has invited you into relationship with himself through Christ and has invited you here to his table. We come to the table today and we remember the sacrifice of Jesus to restore creation, to heal creation. And in the Lord's Supper, we are united to the ascended Christ by the Holy Spirit. We are transformed, we are nourished, we are strengthened, and we are formed evermore into the likeness of God. I know that many are quick to dismiss these early chapters of Genesis as fables, to think that they have little relevance in our lives. And so today, perhaps it's helpful for you to, to think about this passage maybe as something less, less about something that happened to our oldest ancestors and more about something that each one of us participates in in our lives. In his letter to the church in Rome, Paul reminds us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You see, we've all found ourselves in this place of outright rebellion against God against God's instructions for right living and against God's mission that he has called us to. I mean, just think about this for a second, right? Think about this. What is it in your life that you hope no one ever finds out about? What have you, what have you done that you hope no one ever will track back to you? What thoughts might you have that, that you hope really remain unspoken? Have you lied recently? Have you wished somebody ill because you were jealous of them? Have you put things in the place in your life that God deserves? Have you put things or people before the Lord? You see, we know that things are not as they're supposed to be. It's, it's so abundantly clear. And yet we continue to contribute to the brokenness in our world with our own actions or in action. And so we come now as we prepare for the table before the Lord, confessing these things to him. Lord, our God, we are broken people. So often we have failed to give ourselves to the welfare of our city. We have been consumed by greed, pride, fear, anger, We continue to choose the broken things of creation instead of the goodness of your kingdom. Lord, we hide from you. We're often found in places of shame for our flaws, our nakedness, our humanity. So we surrender these things to you now. We ask for your forgiveness. You are part of a broken world. 
you're a broken person, you contribute to that brokenness. But God loves you. God calls out to you. God longs to walk with you. And we know that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And so let us rest in the grace of our Lord as we come today to his table and as we continue in prayer. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord, our God. Lord, in your wisdom, you made all things and you sustain them by your power. You formed us in your image and your likeness, setting us in this world to love and to serve you, to live in peace with your whole creation. But we rebelled against you. And even in that moment, you, you did not abandon us, Lord. We, trust, we failed to trust you. We failed to obey you. But you still claimed us as your own. And then you sent prophets to call us back to your way. And then when the time was right, out of your great love for the world, you sent your son, the light of the world, to be one of us, to redeem us, to heal our brokenness. So, Lord, now we come to your table. We lift our voices together to pray with expectation the prayer that you taught your disciples, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Colorado Springs area, we would love to meet you on a Sunday morning. To plan your visit, head to our website at firstprezcos.org. That's F-I-R-S-T-P-R-E-S-C-O-S dot org.